it begins in uh, verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the, the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so Paul begins writing this in the first verse. He calls himself a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we also read in Romans chapter one that he actually says that he was separated. Romans one in verse one says that he was separated unto the gospel of God. That this is his work and this is. This is his mission and his life. And there's a sense there that and we see in Romans 6 that we become bondservants of God as well. That we become, we were once slaves of sin, but we become slaves of obedience leading to righteousness. That we become servants of God and doing his will. Also, we should also consider that we have to develop that attitude that we see Jesus having in John chapter 9 and verse 4. It says, I must work, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can, when no one can work. That we become bondservants of God. That our sole focus is working, the doing the will of God. Because we know that eventually our time here on this earth is going to be running out. We have to have that urgency that we're going to be uh, doing uh, the will of God. That we're going to be a bondservant of God. But also, uh, continuing on in verse 1, he says, he says, According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with, God, with godliness. That's, that's his, his mission, that he is going to work according to the faith of God's elect, that he is going to uh, work in spreading the gospel and building up the faith of God's elect. And he says also, And the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Uh, we see in uh, in Second Peter chapter one and verse three when we're talking about this idea of godliness that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. That through the knowledge of Him, through the knowledge of that truth, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we see, uh, I think we can see in, in Titus in, in verse one. Then we see that acknowledgement of the truth which, with, which accords with Godness. That we have first this, uh, that we acknowledge that truth, and then there is also a reaction, that there, is a, that there is a decision made that we're going to continue to live godly lives. There's a, there, we see in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, that this truth, that this grace of God actually teaches us to live a certain way. It says in Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 12, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So we see here that we have this grace. It brings salvation, but it also teaches us. There's also a that we receive that knowledge, and then we act on it, that we deny ungodliness, deny worldly lust, and then thereby we live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So we see here it says Paul called himself a bondservant, and then he's also, what's he writing for? What's his purpose? What's his mission? That he's according to the faith of God's elect 
and acknowledgement of that truth which accords with godliness. And it continues on in verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due times manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now we also we see in verse 1 that this the truth it, it that it causes us, it teaches us to live godly lives, but we also see that the hope, that truth, that that, that gospel, that truth uh, gives us hope, that we have that hope of eternal life which God has promised before a time began. If we see in first Peter in chapter one, verses three through four. First Peter chapter one, verses three through four. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy had begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So we see here that Peter is speaking that through Jesus we can now be, that God has begotten us to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That because, and because of that resurrection, we could have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it does not fade away. And so we have that great hope that we can rest assured that if we can continue in the faith, that we continue uh, to be obedient to Him, that we can have that inheritance that does not fade away. So we see here that we have that gospel, that truth gives us hope of, it, that, of that eternal life. But we also see that it says that word has been manifested through us, uh, that his word has been manifested through preaching, and he, Paul says, which was committed accord, committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So not only do we have that hope, but that hope has been that that we can have that hope through his word that he has given us all of these things available through that word which was committed to Peter, uh, to Paul, and also through the to the apostles. So we can have access uh, through that hope. And we see, again, that gospel and that hope is available to us uh, through the word, which, which, which we see here that Paul says, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So we have to, uh, again, make the point and, 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 and see that what Paul is speaking, the words that he is writing, those are the very same things as God's word. The things he's writing is, are the commandments of God. So again, it, it, and we'll continue on in Titus in verse four. So he says we have been that we have been. Uh, verse three says that we have have this uh, hope of eternal life. He has manifested his word through preaching. And in Titus chapter one and verse four, he says that this that this letter was written to Titus as a true son and in, in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And so Paul begins this by saying that he's a true son in our common faith, that they have a common bond together, and that is their faith. We see kind of the same idea in Ephesians in chapter 2, in verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 19. It talks about us being uh, uh, citizens and, and members of the household of God. In Ephesians in chapter 2, in verse 19. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That, he, that we see that these Christians, when somebody becomes a Christian, they have that common bond that they are, that they are fellow citizens 
with this with the saints and the members of the household of God that we all become one uh, household that we all have that common bond and we see here that uh, Paul and Titus have that common bond through faith and Paul calls him a true son in in the faith now whether or not we don't really know why he does that, it's probably simply because that he is t that he is acted in a sense as a father through Titus that he is teaching him teaching him the word allowing him giving the things necessary for him to grow in the faith and he so therefore he calls him that true son in that faith and that common bond and also he says grace mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior and so we think about what is what is he talking about that he, that he is wanting grace mercy and peace from God the Father extended uh, to Titus we think about the grace that has been given to all of us, that we, all of us eventually, we need that grace from God in all areas of our life. I was I think about uh, Paul's situation, that God helped him throughout all those bad situations. What we see in the latter part of Acts, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that by the grace of God, I am what I am. That it was through his grace that he had, first of all, if he has been able to know the gospel to be saved, but also through that grace of being called to an apostle, he is able to labor. Paul says that he has labored more abundantly and being able to do all those things simply because that, that grace has been extended to him. So we need this grace and this mercy extended to us from God. And that grace and that mercy allows us to not only be saved, but allow us to continue the work. And we see Titus at work that he was going to uh, do, that he was going to need a lot of grace, a lot of mercy uh, from God and able to allow him to continue to do that work there. But we, but we also see that there's a sense there that we, not only do we want grace, mercy sent to us from God, that we also, there's a, that we have to make the choice that we want to continue in those things. We see in Jude chapter 1 and verse 21, that he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude saying that we have to look for that mercy, that we have to want uh, that mercy. And so we have to do those, there are things that we have to do, things that we have to obey in order to, to continue to be in the grace and the mercy of God. In Acts chapter 13, we see uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, encourage those, those Christians to continue in the grace of God. That they were going to have to continue to be obedient to God's will in order to maintain that grace. So we see that, we see Paul wanting, wanting that grace and mercy to extend it. Uh, from God to Titus, but there also there is a sense that we have to uh, make that choice and continue and do the things necessary so that we can continue in those things as well. In Philippians 4 and verse 6 through 7, Philippians 4 and verse 6 through 7, when we talk about the idea of peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ our Savior, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we see here in verse 6, says, Be anxious for nothing. Now we, there, are, that we, there are things that we have to do that we have to make the decisions for do. And then, but there's also a point that we have done all that we can do. And then there are, that we just have to leave those things up to God. But he says, Be anxious for nothing. And he says, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And we have to think for a minute. 
in our daily lives, when 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 something bad happens, or when when really, or, or we need help, who are we the first to turn to? Do we let our requests be be made known to God? Do we continue in prayer and supplication to God, or do we look for other means? We see here that we have to lean on lean on God, so to speak. That we have to let our requests be known, made known to God, and we see. What happens is in verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding would guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That if you let you simply lean on God, saying that we've done what we can do, but God, we have to have that there's some things that are not up to our control that we have to lean on God and really give it up to God, and thereby that peace of God will guard, will surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So continue on, he says that, that this that this letter was written to Titus, and it says so, sort of beginning of some of the reasons in which he is writing to Titus, he says in verse 5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should, should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So we see here that those in Crete, the Christians in Crete, there were some things that were lacking. He said, and, and Paul is calling Titus to set in order of those things and appoint elders in every city. Now, we see that there were things lacking, and of course, even when we break it down to today in our congregation, there are very well things that are lacking and needs to be uh, developed, and, need, and people need to grow and mature. But again, this is necessary. This is serious business, but it's not the not completely the end of the world. But we have to make sure that we set in order those things that are lacking. In Ephesians chapter four, in verses twelve through sixteen, Ephesians chapter four, verses twelve through sixteen. Ephesians four, verse twelve through sixteen, it says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so we see here that these these offices were given, it says, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now some of those offices are no longer into effect, but we see even those offices that still exist, what are the purpose of those things? For the equipment for the saints, for the work of the ministry, edifying of the body in Christ. And we see what it says, what is the purpose? Again, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, we all have to work and strive and grow till we all come to that unity of faith and to a perfect man, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. It says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, there is truth that's going to have to be spoken, that we're going to have to build ourselves in the truth and the doctrine of Christ. It says, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. That we, all of us have to grow, all of us eventually has come to the point that we all have to grow up in the faith. But there all, but all of us have something to offer. There's not anybody that's a part of that congregation that just sits and has no purpose to that congregation. It says in verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body 
joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So it says the whole body and, and knit together by what every joint supplies, every joint supplying something. It says according to the effective working by which every part, again, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So again, everybody has something to offer that we have to continue to grow, that we have to continue to grow into that, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we see this example in Crete that there were things that, that were lacking that need to be set in order. We see Titus uh, going to have to deal with some of these issues. And of course, us today, there are going to be issues that, that are lacking that we're going to have to deal with. But those things are can be corrected. It is not necessarily the end of the world. But again, it is serious business and they need to be set in order. And so he goes on and talks about appointing elders in every city. And we see, and so, and then we we'll continue in verse six, and later on, and then other, and the following verses that he's going to be speaking about the qualifications of these elders, that these people that are going to have authority over over the the Christians and the churches. And Titus chapter one and verse six, speaking of the elders, the qualification of the elders says, "If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, ha having faithful children." not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And so the first qualification that, that Paul places on elders is that they are to be blameless, if a man is blameless. And we have to think about that, that these are Christians. These are people that, have, that, that are saved, that they have their sins forgiven. So why does Paul make the distinction that that man is blameless? That we, and so we see that in 1 John, that even though we're saved, even though we become Christians, even though we have those sins forgiven, that eventually a Christian is going to sin again. That's plain and simple. So how does that person become blameless? I think we can see a great example of that in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. They will see after David's sin with Bathsheba, in which Nathan come to him and, 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 and deliver the message to him and so that David could realize that he had sinned and he, had, and he confessed that he had sinned. And we see also in James and other places that this necessity of repentance and the confession of sins that if we're going to sin but if we but if we do sin we're going to make the necessary changes to not only uh, to make those things right and to change our lives. We see in Ezra uh, this morning of those that are that have intermarried with people of different of different uh, uh, races or, or different uh, nations, and we see what did they do? It wasn't they did not simply say we were sorry for that, you know, my bad, you know, I'll I'll do better next time. They gave up those wives, and we see what repentance requires of someone that's done enough to say sorry or to be uh, sad about those things. They have to make those necessary changes in order to be right with God. And so we, we talk about this idea of a blameless Christian, that we sin or we, or we do these bad things, that we make the necessary changes in order to uh, be right with God and to be right with one another. Also, he says that he, is the, that he is the husband of one wife. So this is not somebody that has a, uh, an unlawful marriage, not somebody who is a polygamist. And also we see it says, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. That these children are, this idea of dissipation or insubordination is being, uh, being uh, uh, riotous, unruly, uh, disobedient. But we also see that these children are faithful children. 
that these are people, that these children are faithful, that they continue in that faith. We read in other places that they, that they, that that these children have to be faithful, and then we see also in other, also in other places that they have to rule their household well, and we see the purposes of those things. If they cannot uh, raise these children in a proper manner, then how can they uh, shepherd the church? And so we see this distinction made uh, here. We see that, that the, there's not a distinction here with the faithful children that we see in the, with the idea of the deacons, but we see that the elders or to have faithful children that are not disobedient, they're not unruly, they're living faithful lives. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, continuing with these qualifications, it says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not giving to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. So we see here, Paul makes the, makes the statement that the elders were stewards of God, that they ultimately are doing the Lord's work that this is not all about them but they're not it's not you know my way or the highway so to speak that they are the stewards of God in first Peter chapter 5 verse 2 through 3 first chapter 5 verses 2 through 3 it speaks on uh, Peter speaks on this subject first Peter chapter 5 verse 2 through 3 he says shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he says here that you are serving as overseers, that you are to shepherd the flock of God. But in verse 3 it says, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. The elders are not to be lords, not to be the, the, an idea of a dictator, that they are simply stewards of God. Now, although they have authority, to make uh, to to lead the church to shepherd the flock, there are not lords over the flock. It says again, and, and continuously says not a self-willed. This idea of being self-willed is being self-pleasing, arrogant. Again, this idea of you know I'm gonna do what I want to do. You know this is it's my way or the highway. Not quick-tempered. Prone. We see the definition of that as being prone to anger. This is not somebody that's. You say something, he's going to fly off the handle. He's calm in, in, in every situation. It says not given to wine. idea of he's not going to be a, an alcoholic. He's not going to be drunk. He's not going to be sipping on this wine. And I think we'll, we'll read on uh, later on. It talks about being, uh, being sober, being self-controlled. And how can one, we talk about the, when we know uh, what alcohol we know what wine does to an individual how it how it they how it affects uh, their thinking way of doing things an elder cannot be sober or self-controlled and be at the same time being given to wine of being one that is drunk or or constantly uh drinking alcohol it says not violent i believe the old king james says the word striker i may be wrong on that but the idea of being not violent it says he, the, the definition of that is a, uh, a bruiser, a ready for a blow, uh, a pugnacious, contentious, a quarrelsome, a person that this is not somebody that he's, again, it's kind of the idea of being not quick-tempered, that this is not going to be somebody that is always ready for a fight, that he is wanting a fight. It also says not greedy for money, that somebody is not uh, wanting that, that that he's not uh, constantly searching out and hoarding up money. 
But it also says we continue on that he is going to be hospitable. And we think about this idea of being uh, not greedy for money, that if some, if the elder is greedy for money, that he is warning constantly, uh, searching for that gain, that his, that his heart is going to be split between the work of the church and uh, the and and uh, whatever whatever work he has in the world, but he has to be given solely to uh, the work that he, that God has given to him, and so that's going to kind of split uh, his mind on what is going to be the ruler over his life, whether it's going to be the money or gaining those things, the world, or is it going to be the work that the Lord has given him. In verse 8 it says, But it says, but the elder is going to be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. So he's going to be hospitable. He's not going to be greedy for money, but he's going to be hospitable. He's going to, be, that he's going to want to give to those who have need. That he's going to have his house open to, to those that, for, for whatever reason, whether to, uh, to help them or for meals or whatever, for whatever reason, he is open to giving and to helping uh, whoever it may be. And he says also a lover of what is good. The elder is not going to surround himself with evil, evil things. He's going to be surrounding himself with those things that are good. He's going to be doing those things that are good. And also he's going to be a sober-minded. Again, I sort of mentioned that with the idea of, of not giving to wine. That the definition of sober mind is to be of a sound mind, a sane in one senses. He says he's going to be curbing one desires and impulsive self-control and temperate. So we see here that he's not going to that the elder is not going to uh, be on some type of substance or alcohol, whatever, for, or doing anything that's going to affect his his mind or being taking taking part in anything that's going to affect his decision making. That he's going to be of a sound mind, and he's also said that he's going to be curbing one desires and impulses. That he's going to be tempered. In all things, he's going to be able to be able to control the things that he wants. He's going to be able to control his actions and his attitudes. And so it's also he's going to be just. He's going to be making the right decisions. That he's not going to be overly harsh in his decisions. But he's also not going to be too easy, so to speak, on decisions as well. He's going to make those right decisions as the circumstance call for. And he's going to be holy as well. That he's going to live a holy and a righteous life. Also, he's going to be self-controlled. Again, a definition of self-control. He's going to be strong, robust. He's going to have power over possessed of a thing. We, in this context, he's going to have power over himself, over his body. And, verse, and in definition three, it says that he's going to be mastering, controlling, curbing, restraining. So again, he's going to have power over himself that he's going to be able to restrain himself and his actions. And so again, we see this idea of being uh, uh, sober-minded that he's going to be of the right mind and then he's going to control his, control his very own actions as well. So going on to verse 9, continuing these qualifications for the eldership, he says in verse 9, says he's going to hold fast the faithful words he has been taught, that he may be, be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So again, he says, that he, so we see these, these attitudes or these qualities that the elder is going to have. In verse 9, it says that he's going to have to hold fast the faithful word. That he's going to be, that he's going to be able to be, that he's going to be knowledgeable in the word, but he's also going to be able to teach. 
and says that he's going to hold fast the faithful word that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So, so he has to hold fast the faithful word. Then why hold to this word? And we see the purpose of that. that he's, <laughs> of course, he's got to know it for his own, own self, but he's also going to be, be able to uh, convict those who contradict those that are believing false things. And notice that he would exhort and convict those by sound doctrine. That it was going to be the, the doctrine that we see in the Bible, the doctrine of Christ, that's going to be able to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, that that is how he's going to be able to do those things. Now, we think about we have to do those things in a right manner. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to have the right uh, attitude when and when doing these things. But Paul says that the doctrine of Christ, that is what is going to convict of those who contradicted. If we are going to be talking uh, with those who believe falsely, there's going to have to be a time when we talk doctrine, that we're going to have to talk what the Bible says about a specific subject. And we see the reason for this in Titus chapter 10. And in Titus chapter 1 and verse 10 through 11, it says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, <coughs> whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So we see what the problem is, that the, the reason that the elders are going to have to be able to hold that word be able to teach. See, that there is many, many people that are, that are deceiving in that area. It says idle talkers, and it says especially those of circumcision, that we're going to have uh, people, the Jewish people, who are teaching uh, false things, who are teaching things for dishonest gain. And we see in verse 11, it says those mouths must be stopped. They're not going to be tolerated. They're not going to be sort of shoved off in the corner. They got to be stopped. And we see that they're subverting a whole household, and they're teaching the things which they ought not, the things that are false, for dishonest gain. And so we see in verse 12, verse 12 through 13, continuing this idea, it says, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So we think about this, we think about uh, uh, these people in Crete, those, those uh, uh, false teachers and those people around there. He says, one of them is saying that they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That these people are saying that the Cretes, they're, they're bad people. That they, are, that they are always doing these things. That they are, in a sense, they can be a, 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 a perceptive to uh, those false things that are being said. But he said that, there are, there, that they are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. But then he says that this testimony is true. He says, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith. Even though these people may be known for bad things, they can be sound in faith. It may take a rebuke. It may take some uh, harsh, uh, uh, or, uh, uh, harsh things being said, but they can be sound in faith. And we see in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 that even that we see these people that they were, they were bad people. This is that they were washed, they were sanctified. And so we see here again, uh, we see the situation, but there is hope for these people that they can turn from their ways, that they can uh, be holy and live righteous lives. And we see that, they were, that there was rebuke was necessary, but rebuke is not, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's seen in a negative light, but we see rebuke can bring uh, good things. It is a good thing. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, when Paul dealing with the Corinthians, that the things he has said caused them to be sorrowful, and that sorrow led them to repentance, that these harsh, that these harsh rebukes caused a changing 
of one's life that it causes them to uh, seek repentance. So again, we see that, the, that there are that there are false teachers around the area. We see that that the Cretes are kind of known for these bad ideas. But it says, "Rebuke them sharp, that they may be sound in the faith." And in verse fourteen it says, "Not giving heed to Jewish fables, the commandments of men who turn from the truth." It says, "To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work." So Paul says in verse 13 to rebuke them so they, that they may be sound in the faith and, it says, and that they may not give heed to Jewish fables and commandments men who turn from the truth. So we see the seriousness of this situation. If they're giving heed to these things, they are that they may be very well turning from the truth. Now again, in verse, in continuing verse 15 16, he talks about the pure, to the pure, all things are pure, but those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure now. Given the context, this is this may be an allusion to some of the Jewish teachings that they were teaching that they to, to abstain from certain foods or observe certain holidays. Uh, maybe so. Don't hold. You know, I'm not going to say that 100%. But we can make application uh, to these few verses that ultimately says to the pure, all things are pure. That whatever they do, they says every creature in verse Timothy, in verse chapter four, and verse four it says for every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Anything of God's creation are pure. And those that are pure, that they're going to continue to, to use those things in a pure manner to do, and do, and, and in a way that is approved uh, by God. But it says, But to the unbelieving, nothing is pure, that even their mind and conscience and defiled. So, so the problem here is that they were, there are two sets of people that they're pure, the believers, and then it says the unbelieving. And so, and so this is the problem, that whatever they may do, they are simply unbelieving. And it says here that their mind and their conscience are defiled. It says in verse 16, it says they may even profess to know God. They may claim that they are believers of God. But what, what is the problem? How, but how, how, how are they actually unbelievers? <coughs> in verse 16, it says, but in works they deny him. This is how they deny. They may say that we're, that we're doing that we believe in God, we believe in all these things, but by their works they deny Him. It says that they are being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So we have to be careful that we can very well profess that we know God, that we can profess to know Christ, but we have to be very careful in what what are the works that we do that we can't deny Him. By our actions, even though we may believe the things that he said, that if we do not act according to that, we're going to be denying him. And so, and continuously says, you're going to be abominable and disqualified for every work that they are disobedient as well. And so, we have to be careful on, on what we do. But we see here that to the pure, all things are pure to the to the believer. Uh, all things are pure that they're going to be. Uh, Partaking in, 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 or partaking of every creature of God, all those things are good, and also that the pure are going to be using those things in a pure manner. And so that's 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 the end. That's the end of lesson. I hope that you learn something from this. And we see in, in Titus one that we talk about uh, that we have this hope that has been given to us uh, before time began. That if that we can have this hope of eternal life that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, does not fade away. But also we have to, uh, there's some things that we have to do that we have to be, in a sense here, not just denying him through the works. We have to believe him, that we have to follow him. 
And so if, if any of you today want to follow him, want to be baptized for the remission of sins, and for whatever reason, or if you're a Christian and you need the prayers of the saints, and you need to confess sin, or for whatever reason, we offer this invitation now as we stand and as we say, will you?